Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is Phil O'Donnell, or otherwise known as Phil Billy. Phil was born in Canada and made the move to Nashville in 1994. He worked as a musician playing guitar for many artists, all while writing songs. Phil not only is a musician and a successful songwriter, but he also produces. Phil has written songs for artists such as George Strait, Blake Shelton, Craig Morgan, Montgomery Gentry, and Brad Paisley. Sitting down with Phil Billy was really fun. First of all, I didn't know what to call him the idea of Phil or Phil Billy, which was, uh, it was really, really interesting. So if you Google him, he's always in overalls, like that's his brand. He's like very, like, quote unquote, hillbilly, right? So that's where he got the idea, Phil Billy. And he showed up not in overalls and I told him that I was very bummed. But I loved sitting down with Phil because he was a very classic, straightforward view, traditional view of country music. But seeing this man who comes from working blue-collar jobs, very like what you hear in classic country music, right? He was in construction and did all of that while writing music, which I found really interesting because you hear a lot of people who come to town and they try to just go all in on the music thing. And he said, no, I, I had other jobs until the idea of just songwriting and producing. And being a musician. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on What's Mine is Yours. All right. It's great to be here. Where are all of the hidden gems of the songs that never were recorded? Where do they go? I believe they are in the dark abyss of digital dust. As a guy that's the last few years, right, 140 to 160, there's 130 of them a year that are just... and. There's some of them need to be. I call them cat litter box songs. Mm-hmm. They need to be covered up and never dug sure. out. But some of them have potential little things in them. And it's the craziest thing when someone digs something out and go, man, I was looking at this thing. It's like seven or eight years ago. And you go, really? And you go, yeah, that's something about that. I have something I'm doing tomorrow that was wrote on a Zoom in 2020, and a friend of mine, he said, I'm doing some mentoring and counseling for a company, and they found a song on a Schedule A on somebody they're signing, and they want a demo of the song. And it just was one of them days, just went in the work tape file, never made a demo, never made nothing. And I went back, and I go, all right, that's nice Mm -hmm. that somebody liked something just three years old enough to want to do something with it. The more I look at what's released every day it's pretty current stuff of what was just written or they went in not that long ago to record the single or whatever is on the project it's pretty all like within a timeline that's recent yeah 
I always think about just the thousands upon thousands of gems that nothing's being done with and no one will most likely ever hear them. Yeah. And that's very sad to me. So it is. Oof. But as a guy that now gets to produce a little bit, I like to call some people and say, hey, send me five or ten of them songs that you thought should have been recorded. And it's amazing what you find mm-hmm. from the Alan Chamblins, from Casey Bethards, from Monty Criswells, from Shane Miners, from Wade Kirby's, from Wiseman's, from these writers, Tom Douglas and stuff, from these people that are in town and... I've had privilege of recording a couple of those songs in the last couple of years on a couple of artists, and they're really special. I don't know if that's happening as frequently as I think it should. What's in those catalogs is kind of filed. It's in it. It's done. That was 15, 20 years ago. Hmm. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you love to write music? I just think it's the gift. It's a God's gift. And I think we got to unwrap it and keep unwrapping it. Because there's layers upon layers. That's why I think that sometimes we listen to things and we go, man, they sure settled on that quick. That's got the lowest hanging fruit of ever. But it's like sometimes that's what it needs to be. And then sometimes you need to write the house that built me. How would you describe your writing style? I feel like just country. What's that to you? I think real. It's got to be real. It's got to be true. Honest truth is something like like if you get an idea that's happened to you, you're going to do a lot better with it than if it's your idea. It happened to you and I'm trying to help you with it because you may go, oh, that must be a good line. He said it. So you go with it, but it's not true to the case, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But I would think those real things that happen and some of them, I have no idea where they come from, but they're just things. And some things really happen in your life and you go, wow, what if I wrote that to this and put that real thing Mm -hmm. in your life, but put it to this idea? Those are really special. Yeah. Really special. What is a happiest moment in your life that has inspired a song? Coming up out of the water, being baptized. Okay. Knowing my destination is heaven. We're just passing through. I've tried and tried to capture it, and I've made several attempts, but I don't think I've ever came close yet. What is a painful moment in your life that has inspired a song? Probably going through a real nasty divorce. Mm. Yeah. That's country music. That's country music. Got a song out of it, or 10 or 20, (laughs) whatever. An album's worth. You have one week left on this earth. Who do you write with? Who are your go-to co-writers oh casey bethard casey bethard casey bethard <laughs> just a room just casey bethard he is the most brilliant rascal gifted i mean to, i mean it's just he's just that guy yeah he's a genius what about somebody you've wanted to write with and you never have well i'm gonna write a lot with merle haggard when i get to heaven <laughs> we're gonna write i've dreamed about writing with him And I did have an opportunity to meet him, and I chose not to. Why is that? Just because of some of the stories. I've had people, friends of mine, and they went and met him, and it was a letdown. Yeah, he was in one of them PP moods or something. Not saying any names, but has that happened to you? Sure. Where Mm -hmm. you've met somebody, and you're Mm -hmm. like, that was not at all what I was going to expect. Yeah, yeah. I think that just comes with the territory of it all. Yeah. They do say, try not to meet your heroes. That's right. 
Yeah. Has there ever been a song that has shocked you that it has been as successful as it was for you? Yes. She Won't Be Lonely Long. Okay. We wrote that song, and I thought it was okay, and we put them in the work tape file. Several months pass. Doug Johnson calls. Hey, man, I got a demo session. Going to do a demo of this song. I'm like, really? Yeah. So I went. We recorded the demo just a day, a demo mm-hmm. day. The song went out and went on hold for this one and went on hold for that one. Somebody cut it on an indie, and they said, well, you can't have the license on it because Montgomery Gentry want to cut it, and this one wants to cut it, and Clay's got it on hold, and all this stuff was going on. I'm like, what is it? I thought it was okay, mm-hmm. but I never thought it was a hit. And I laugh about that song when we do a writer's night because I'll say, we got any Luke Bryan fans in there? And, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, what about Rain's a Good Thing? They go, yeah, yeah. I said, well, we don't like Rain's a Good Thing. That song kept this song from going into number one. Uh, It was number one for six weeks. (laughs) Tell me about the day of writing. She won't be lonely long. It happened quick. Doug Johnson is quick. Galen had the title. Doug just started. We started spitting, spitting, spitting. Doug doesn't write nothing down. He does the work. He is a brilliant mind like i've wrote with a couple of people that don't write them down they remember everything well yeah yeah i just want to cut their ears off yeah with a long sword like peter just a gifted man and i just thought oh there's another one we probably don't have two or three hours in it i've sat down with so many people and they're like that was like the fastest yeah right i've ever had and it just kind of spilled out of us didn't think anything of it exactly and, and one that you labor over and just know somebody's gonna do it and it's like crickets So I want to talk about some of your major successes and some stories behind songs. Tell me about Doing What She Likes, recorded by Blake Shelton. Okay. Wade Kirby came over to my place in Centerville. We were going to do some deer hunting for a couple of days. He was coming over to spend a night, and we had this little idea going, and it was raining. I think it was December of 2011, whatever it was, sometime around that time. But it was raining. It was cold. There was all kinds of deer. And we had this little idea going riding around his Jeep. And I remember seeing some deer and said, well, you come over here from Mount Juliet. You know, it's an hour and 20 minute ride to shoot a deer. You want to shoot a deer? And he's looking at some. He's like, yeah, I guess I could. Yeah. Well, but then one of us probably have to get out of the Jeep. I'm like, well, yeah, it's pretty warm in this Jeep, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's pretty nice. I don't feel like getting out. He said, well. I really don't feel like getting out in the wet and all. So we opted to finish that song and not make a mess, you know, or have a mess to clean up that day. But And actually, the the second verse of that song, we went to Crothers Island down there on the Duck River, and we were writing some of it on that island, and that was land that Blake once had beside me, and I used to go bush hog it and hay it and whatever, and he had a deer stand down there, and I'd go leave all kinds of human sand around his deer stand so no deer would come around his place and they'd just come to my place. That's not true. (laughs) But we're at the number one party, and I told that story. I said, we did write this second verse down there on the banks of the Duck River. And I said, right there where I used to cut your hay. And he looked at me and said, did I ever pay? I said, finally, on this song. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like for that going number one? That was just a big old blessing is what that was, Mm -hmm. you know just kind of came at a low time in life, and mm. it was awesome. Yeah, it was good. That's landing the helicopter on a four-leaf clover, mm. doing something like that, where it's a two-way right, just a random pitch, and yeah, and made it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine like getting a call like Blake Shelton's going to record this song. I mean, well, funnier than that, we got an email to hold the song. And then I had a session player friend call, hey, we just cut the you know what out of your song on Blake. And I'm like, awesome. Fast forward a week later, we get an email back from Scott saying, hey, sorry, Blake passed on the song. That's on a Friday. So I have the worst weekend of my life that Saturday and Sunday. And on that Monday, I said, well, I'll, it's this is eating my lunch. I hit Scott a text. And I said, hey, if you get a second, give me a call. Boom, he calls. What's up? I said, I'm confused. I said, I got a text from a session player saying, y'all cut this song. And then Friday, we get an email saying that Blake passed on it. Sorry. And I told him the title. And Scott says, no, yeah, we cut that song. He likes that song. We're going to sing that song. So I had like three days. Miscommunication. Yes, the bottom fell out. He said, I was just deleting emails and passing on songs, and I guess I went too far. That's what Scott said. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So That's funny. What song have you written that's been recorded that you would say changed your life? They've all been a part. They've just, every single one becomes a part of it. It's not like one cut the tree down. They're just all like an axe. They're just all hacking at it. They're all part of our story. Would you say you have a favorite or that you're most proud of? I think it's still in the can, to be honest with you. As songwriters, I think we have our favorite. What we think is some of our best body of work is still to be discovered. I love that. Mm -hmm. I think that says a lot about you in general. When you keep saying there's more to come, that's really inspirational i think to anybody who'd be listening to this sure. who, yeah. knowing that there's a lot of people who think they maybe have reached a peak or whatever the case is and for you to say it's still ahead of you and i think that's great i feel like there's things in my eyes as a overthinker analyst as a let's see what's under that layer and get to that layer and what's under this layer and get to that i feel like there's a handful that are better than any of the hits I wrote, if that makes sense. Well, speaking of another hit, Give It All We Got Tonight, George Strait. Tell me about that. Tim James and I, we went in to write with Mark Bright, and Mark had a guitar lift. He kept that, and he kept doing it and kept doing it. And I'm not a big guy to sit in a room when a guy's doing a track. I'll hit the space bar and make it quiet real mm. quick. And I'm very quick to tell young writers, Put your guitar down. We got the melody. Quit noodle on that. You're nervous. Put it down. We're okay. Let's start digging for some lyric. Okay. I'm all about that. And I basically, I think I said something really rude. Like, if you don't put that guitar down, I'm going to break it over your head. Because <laughs> he just kept on doing that. So we were trying to write things on that. And then my dad had a fiddle tune that he played that went, dun, dun, dun. So I took a piece of that for the verse. We used Mark's melody for the chorus, and we were just, we just randomly had no title. We were trying to write something for Scotty because Mark was doing his record, McCreary. And he said, Man, he needs something sexy and whatever. So we just started writing and we wrote on it. And I think we canceled what we had the next day to try to write on it again. Mm -hmm. And we were in Starstruck and Rebus building over there. And, and I remember we had a lot of it, and we never had nothing at the end of the course. And I had to run to the restroom like I always do because I'm old. But I said, <laughs> I got to go to the restroom. So I got up, and they were playing a noodle, and they were, you know, hammering on things. And I don't know. 
maybe give it all we got tonight. And I walked out. And I come back, and they had that set in the hook and sang it. And they said, oh, that's it. And I'm like, man, that's lame. That's just weak. And they're like, man, trust it, man, trust I said, I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. And I ended up, I think, playing it for publisher and they're like man just do one of your home guitar vocal demos things on that so i did a banjo and a guitar and a bass and we made a loop and put 16 tracks of backgrounds on it and it come out as some boy band pop band kind of again it was one of them songs that i thought was Mm -hmm. like my spanish you know Mm -hmm. in that and absolutely no at all nothing towards but i love these are the best some of the best friends in the world but i can't speak it mm-hmm. all right but anyway did all the stuff on this demo and someone played it for uh an a person and scotty passed on it and it went on hold for a boy band or something and then they heard the man i think this melody george Strait may like this get to take the this off of it and take that off it so we took this off it and that off it okay now take this off of it and that off of it so we deleted that and that and sent the Man, just pare it down to a guitar vocal. <laughs> well, we pared it down to a guitar vocal, and that was, I think, what they ended up. I think they left the, whatever the echo was. There was a little echo or something in it. I think they kept that. Wow. Off of the demo. Yeah. And then that's what they sent him. Mm-hmm. And they were about to give up on it. And I think it was Biff Watson came up with the acoustic guitar lick, and they ended up, yeah, that might be something. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, that's awesome. Yeah, but that was the song where all my songwriting buddies wanted to go halfers on lotto tickets. They were like, hey, man, if he got that, we got to do a lotto ticket with him. <laughs> Did you get lotto tickets? No. <laughs> no, they were just being smart Alex, thinking I was the luckiest person in the world. Yeah. I mean, to have a George Strait cut. Yeah. That's, that's a huge ten, blessing. Ten years ago this week. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Back when I knew it all, Montgomery Gentry. Tell me about that. Gary Hannon, Trent Willman. We were writing at a little company called Anchor Down, little old back blue room. And Gary came in. He said, I was looking at a picture of myself. He was a Secret Service person in Zimbabwe, kind of a Marine, make the wrong move, and I'll pinch that pimple between your shoulders right off. You know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. this kind of guy. And he said he was looking at this picture before. He said, my belly fell and I had a chest and I was 18. And my my military picture, he said, that was back when I knew it all. I said, man, I really like that title. So we commenced to digging into it. And Trent at that time had his record deal and stayed with us one day and worked. And I think Gary and I got together again a couple of times and we got together. It was one of them four or five days to get that wow. everything together. So we took just part of all of our life, and I remember I didn't have a step side that wouldn't jump a ditch, but it was a, a 1973 Oldsmobile, and one night going around a turn, and road was a little slippery, and I hit the gas and had four people in it, and I remember looking out my window, seeing a cow, thinking, this can't be really good, but anyway, we were at the other side of the ditch, but we just took pieces of each other's life. Tuffy's is a real place. I've been getting diesel fuel at Tuffy's out in Centerville, and I see people coming out of there with 12-pack of old Milwaukee, and they look like they just middle school. But mm-hmm. again, as you get older, people who are of age still look very young mm-hmm. to you, you know, but these look like, yeah. Kids. Yeah. When we got done, he took our work tape or guitar vocal or something I did, and, and he was meeting Eddie Montgomery that night for, I think they were just having Kool-Aid. I'm sure it was just Kool-Aid that they were having a 
sip of Kool-Aid over ice. And he played that for Eddie and Eddie loved it and said, now don't you give this song to Kenny Chesney, you know, and it, he held it and he held true. That was, they cut it wow. and went all the way through. Wow. So. What do you think makes a good country song? I say it's the Dolly Parton format. There's three or four different kinds of songs. I think there's songs that make you smile, songs that make you laugh, songs that make you clap your hands, songs that make you tap your foot, kick you in the ass and send you down the road and drive 15 mile an hour over the speed limit. And if you can do any one of those, you wrote a hit. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. You said whiskey as something that is a theme that needs to be kind of left right now a little bit. But what are some other things that we need to stop hearing in country music today, maybe not theme-wise, but is there an instrument? Is there less track? One, five, six, four. One, five, six, four. Ah, oh, my goodness. 65 to 80% of the songs are... I could pretty much tell you that if someone does that and i go in the room i may just vomit is that a situation where you'll say i don't like i don't want to do this today yeah have you done that yeah have you gotten up and left yes i like that yeah man of conviction can't do it i like that though unless someone has a such a unique phrasing and it just seems to me like with those chords uh-huh. and the eight notes that god give us it's all been done and it's just it's like multiplicity, that movie. By about the fourth time you go through the photocopy, you're just, you're a nut bird. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours.